So the last couple of weeks, we've been talking through uh, this series, Big Church, Little You, right? And the last two lessons, if you've really been listening to them and taking them to heart, should have been ones that stepped on your toes. They should have been ones that hurt your feelings maybe a little bit or have been really tough lessons to hear. Because it talked about how what we want, what we desire, and our selfishness is very sinful, that everything about who we are as followers of God should be focused on bringing glory to him and making his name known. And that sounds good, but when we realize that we have to take a step back in that equation, it's tough to hear. And I truly believe that these things that we've talked about are truly uh, important things for us to understand in our faith. So tonight, honestly, I'm going to give you guys a little bit of a break from the step on your toes tough lesson, and I'm going to give you more of a pep talk, okay? So this is... This is your good Christian pep talk and to to try to level with you guys real quick on this, okay? So this is the one lesson in this series that you can be like, okay, I feel like maybe I can actually do these things that he's talking about in these tougher lessons, okay? Because let's just be honest for a second. We all fall short of God's standards, right? We, We all know that God has a very high standard for us. And, and reality is that we cannot live up to that standard. Um, now, the fact that we know that doesn't mean that we can ever reach a point to where we become comfortable with not reaching God's standard. Like, it'd be like if you knew, let's just say that even if you got every question right on every assignment you ever did in school you still couldn't get the highest grade possible. There's like an A++, okay? And that's what you're told to get. In school, you need to try your best to get A++'s. But you realize that you can never reach that even if you do your very, very best. That doesn't mean that you need to be like, hey, since I can't ever reach the A++, then I'm just going to get an F. I'm not going to try, right? We can't be people who lose our our desire to strive after God just because we can't reach his standards. And so hopefully what we're going to discuss tonight will will bring some of you guys who, and, and I know that, and honestly, I feel like teenagers are worse about this than adults, but I feel like teenagers are really hard on themselves. Like they, they beat themselves up over, over like their, their tiny, <clears throat> like, problems or or failures that they have in life. And so hopefully tonight, this lesson will bring some peace to those of you out there who have been beating yourselves up over the when you don't, when you fall short of God's standard. <clears throat> so <clears throat> I don't know if any of you guys have ever heard the saying, if you fail to prepare, prepare to fail. I don't know if any of you have ever heard that. But it makes good sense, right? If you fail to prepare, like if you don't do work to prepare yourself for whatever you're doing to to organize it, then you should prepare to fail in that endeavor, right? But, you know, we hear these sayings like this, but we never hear anything about how to prepare to fail. Like, and that sounds weird. But... You know, we, because I, I think this sounds weird, 
Because none of us ever really do things expecting to fail at it. Like, okay, maybe we sign up for a math class and we're like, I'm going to fail at this. Like, but we don't really mean that. Like, we can, we can joke about, you know, not being good at something. But none of us ever do something with the intention of failing at it, right? Like, I'm not like, hey, you know what? Uh, I can't ice skate, so I'm going to go out and try to be on a hockey team and I'm going to expect to succeed in that. Like, I wouldn't do that, right? Because I would, I would know that if I did that, I would fail. So we don't do things with an expectation of failing at it. However, when we look at this idea of being a follower of Jesus and the standard that's set for us as a follower of Jesus, realistically, it is not feasible for us to achieve it as humans. Like the Bible clearly lays out that we are incapable of reaching the standard that God has set before us. So in reality, if we are to be a follower of Jesus, we should prepare to fail. Like we should learn how to handle these moments when we fall short of God's standard. Does that make sense to you guys? Like we have to understand because we know it's going to happen. So we need to be prepared to handle it because I think what happens so often is we fall short of God's standards. We, we hit this point to where we fail God and we get so mad at ourselves about it and we like beat ourselves up and be like, oh my gosh, I can't believe that I sinned. I can't believe that I disobeyed God. I can't believe that I fell short of his standard. And we allow that to take us down this road to be like, Hey, I, I'm never going to be good enough to be used by God. I'm never going to be someone who can serve God in this way. And we allow it to go down this bad path. When in reality, what we should be doing is we should be preparing to fail. We should have a plan that when we fail to meet God's standards, this is what we do. This is how we handle it. And so what we're going to do tonight is we're going to look at kind of a, a, a good news, bad news kind of moment. And, and he's kind of grown out of this. I haven't heard him do it in a long time. But Landon used to always come up to be, us and be like, I've got good news and I've got bad news. Which one do you want to hear first? Like the age old question. So I wanted to ask all of you guys in here. How many of you guys are bad news first, then good news second? Okay. How many of you guys are good news first, then bad news second? Well, clearly you're wrong. You're the only person who said that. Okay, so I am like a very staunch, and I will fight you about it. Bad news first. Let's get it out of the way. Find out what it is. And then get the good news that kind of softens the blow of the bad news. Even if the good news, like, even if the bad news is like, Landon would come up and he would always like, he would always say that when he only had bad news. And so he would tell us the bad news and the good news would be like, I still love you. I'm like, that doesn't make me feel any better. Like, you're the one who messed up. But but even no matter how useless the good news is, I always like the soothing moment of the good news. So tonight, that's what we're going to do is we're going to look at the bad news first and then we're going to look at the good news. So what is the bad news about following Jesus and trying to match this standard that he sets for us. Well, spoiler alert, we already talked about it. The bad news is we cannot do it. 
We cannot physically, as humans, reach the standard that God has set for us. He has created this standard that is unobtainable by us. And that might sound weird to you. Because people are always like, oh, you know, we all need to you know, work really hard to do this. But, but God has called us to be like him. To be just like Christ. And we realize that we cannot be like Christ. That's the whole reason that Christ had to come in to die for us was because we are incapable of living perfect lives. No matter how hard we try, no matter how great we are, we can never reach the standard that God sets before us. And and this sounds like it may be a hard thing to hear given my statement earlier about how we don't like to do things that we can't succeed at or we don't do anything if we expect to fail. Yet here we are sitting... Hopefully you guys are out here listening and trying to learn how to better achieve this godly standard that seems unachievable. And, you know, I feel like that people sit around and they're like, you know what? One day when I reach this perfect standard for God's, for, that God has for me, I'll, that's when I become a pastor. And, and if you still aren't quite good enough to be a pastor, then you can become a youth pastor. Right? Like, I feel like we feel that pastors are these people who have this godly standard figured out. But let me tell you guys right now, I'll be the first to tell you that not, not pastors and especially not youth pastors will ever reach this standard that God has. No one will. And it's because of one thing, our flesh. And I'm not talking about like if you just like ripped part of your body off or something. Like, I'm not talking about your physical flesh. I'm, talk, I'm, not, I'm talking about um, the, this flesh as in our sinful nature, right? It, the rebellious human nature that we all have as a part of who we are. This human value system that stands in opposition to God's value system. Because if we look at it from a plain, from a plain place, humans and God are like total opposites. And humans, they have their own value system. And obviously we see in our world every day our value system gets further and further away from God's value system. But we look at the book of Romans. And if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Romans 7 tonight is where we're going to be. But Paul writes about this exact thing in the book of Romans. And I'm going to just warn you right now. I'm going to read this passage, Romans 7, 14 through 24 in just a second. And it's super confusing because Paul is like, literally having a war inside of him. He's, got, he's like in inner turmoil as he's writing this. And so he's like, I want to do this, but I don't want to do this, but I do want to do this, but I don't want to do it. It's just very confusing. So, so be warned. But we're going to be in Romans 7, starting in verse 14. <clears throat> and my Bible labels this, uh, this portion of Scripture. It calls it the conflict of two natures. And so quite literally, this is the war he's having between himself. So this is what Paul says. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of flesh, sold into bondage to sin. For what I am doing, I do not understand. For what am I, I am practicing what I would like to do, but I am doing the very thing that I hate. But if I do the very thing I do not want to do, I agree with the law, confessing that the law is good. So now no longer am I the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For the willing 
is present in me, but the doing of the good is not. For the good that I want, I do not do, but I practice the very evil that I do not want. But if I am doing the very thing I do not want, I am no longer the one doing it, but sin that dwells in me. I find that the principle that evil is present in me, the one who wants to do good, for I joyfully concur with the law of God in the inner man. But I see a different law in the members of my body, waging war against the law in my mind, making me a prisoner of the law of sin, which is in my, my members. Wretched man that I am, who will set me free from, the body, from this body of death? Okay? I told you. Really confusing. Paul is literally sitting in here in inner turmoil saying like, okay, I want to do this, but I know I'm not supposed to do this. And so I don't do the thing that I want to do because I'm trying to do the thing that I'm supposed to do. But yet I fell, fall short of that and I still do the thing that I want to do. And it's, it's very confusing to try to read. Like seriously, I read that over this week probably like four or five times, like trying to diagram it out and be like, okay, now is he doing the good thing or not doing it? Okay, now it's switched. Ugh. But realistically, what he's saying here, and he kind of gets to it, is that his head knows what he's supposed to do. Right? Like it, like, and, and I think this is, one, part our conscience, two, part the Holy Spirit working in us to convict us, and three, part our, our biblical knowledge and our understanding of God's laws and commands for us, all playing together right here, that in our head, we can look at situations that we can be like, okay, should I do this or should I not do this? And generally speaking, if we sit down and really look at it and use our, our, our biblical knowledge with the Holy Spirit, we, we can determine if we should or shouldn't do something according to the Bible. And, and so what Paul's saying here is like my head knows not to do this, but my heart wants to do it, and my hands do it. And so he's literally at war with these different parts of himself, saying like, my head knows what to do, but my body just won't do it. Or my body keeps doing this stuff that my head knows is wrong, but my head can't stop my body from doing it. Does that make sense to you guys? Like this is literally the battle that Paul's writing about right here. It's this conflict of two selves, who we are and who we know we should be. And this is exactly where I think most of us as Christians find ourselves. We find ourselves sitting here on Wednesday nights and on Sundays listening to these sermons and these things about like, God's plan for you and how you should serve God and how you can be a better Christian and everything. And we sit here and we go, man, I know this stuff. I know what I need to do to be a better Christian, but I cannot stop myself from doing things that make me fall short of God's standard. When I read this passage, I can literally feel the war that Paul is having between himself and I can relate to it because I live it every single day. You see him talk about this divide between his mind and his hands. You know, you know we all fight this exact same battle. We all can sit here and relate to Paul in this passage because each and every one of us have this same sinful nature, this same flesh that we must bear. You see, the flesh motivates the sin that we feel compelled by. 
including the selfishness that we've been looking at in this series. But it doesn't just stop there. This flesh motivates all of our sins, complaining about our current situation, whether in life or whatever. Jealousy, pride, power, lust, love of money, love of possessions. All these things that we struggle with is the flesh in us, the sinful nature in us, causing us to do things that we know we're not supposed to do. We can sit and we can, we can learn the Bible and we can say that we don't want to do these things all day long, but we keep going back to them. And, and, and we've been looking at through this series how the disciples kind of lived out this, this big church little you moment. And, and specifically, I want to look at one disciple in particular here because one He's probably my favorite biblical character behind Jesus, of course. But like, he's my favorite disciple. He's the one I feel like I relate to. But also I feel like he is someone who throughout the Gospels is almost like picked on for failing to meet the standard. And this is Peter. Okay, And if you know anything about Peter, you know that ultimately he goes on to do great things. And so it might sound weird that you're like, wow, how does he get picked on for falling short of the standard? He was literally like the rock upon which... God built his church. But I'm going to show you a few things about where Peter failed Jesus and how we can kind of like look at ourselves through that same lens. Now, we know that the disciples, all of them, had their moments of struggle against the flesh, right? We know that they all sinned. We know that. But we see examples. If you look at like when all 12 of them fell asleep in the garden, we're going to look at that more later, or when uh, Jesus was arrested and 11 of the 12, only John really stayed with him through the crucifixion. The other 11 kind of abandoned him in that moment. But it feels like the Gospels go out of their way to paint a picture of Peter as a struggler of the flesh. Now, maybe it's because out of the 12 disciples, he was the most quick to open his mouth. Like, if someone were to like, try to like attack Jesus, Peter would be the first one to walk in and be like, hey, you don't talk to him like that. Like that was always Peter. He was the most outspoken, quickest to speak. But we always see him kind of missing the point of Jesus' words. And and we really see him speaking and acting out of turn a lot. In fact, as I was doing some research for this lesson, I found an article called The 13 Failures of Peter. So literally it was 13 times where Peter failed and how Jesus reacted to each of them. But I want to look at kind of one iconic moment where Peter failed. And, and, and I really want to look at kind of like literally this war that he had within himself just in a few passages of Scripture. So one of the most iconic turnarounds that we see in Scripture, we see Peter go from when Jesus says, hey, Um, all of you guys are going to abandon me whenever I get arrested and go to be crucified. And in Matthew 26, 35, Peter says to Jesus, even if I have to die with you, I would never disown you. And then literally 40 verses later, in Matthew 26, 74, he had already disowned Jesus twice. And a third time it says, 
Peter began to call down curses on himself and swore to them, I do not know this man. In 40 verses, we see Peter go from someone who says, I will die before I disown you, Jesus, to someone who has not just disowned him once, not just disowned him twice, but has disowned him three times in the third one being like, I swear and I will curse me if I'm lying. Like he's sitting here like disowning Jesus in my basically the most like extravagant, extreme way that he possibly can. So what changed between these two verses? And we can, we can sit here and we can try to like analyze like in particulars about what happened to Peter between these two moments in time. But realistically, I see there's only one thing that changed in Peter between these two points in time. You want, you want to know what it is? It's very simple. Jesus wasn't with him anymore. See, I look at Peter, and we see over and over again, Peter be very bold throughout Jesus' ministry. We see him step up and do almost like borderline crazy things. I mean, he's the guy that when they, the soldiers came to arrest Jesus, he pulled out a sword and cut off the guy's ear. trying to defend that, that, that was Peter, okay? Very bold, very out, outspoken. But when Jesus is around, he's very bold. But yet we also see Peter, when Jesus isn't around him, he kind of becomes a little bit of a coward, And I'm not being critical. I'm just saying it like it is. But I even look at the example that happens in those 40 verses between these two, where Jesus takes James, John, and Peter to a, like he leaves the other nine disciples behind. And he takes those three kind of further along into the Garden of Gethsemane when he's praying, asking for the cup to be taken from him before he's arrested and crucified. And he says, hey, uh, you guys need to pray with me, you know. Stay up and pray with me about this thing that I'm struggling with. Jesus tells him that and Jesus goes on and the three of them are sitting there and the three and all 12 disciples, but including those three that he had brought forward, they all fall asleep and Jesus comes back and finds them. And the Bible very interestingly doesn't say, hey, you guys or hey, Peter, James and John. It doesn't say anything about that. It says Jesus asked Peter. They they single out Peter. And they say and he says, You can't even stay awake. And then Jesus even uses the term and it says, your spirit is willing, but your flesh or your body is weak. Peter was the poster child for a willing spirit, but a weak flesh. Like when we look at Peter, that is his, like, that would be his bio. Willing spirit, weak flesh. So why then would God choose to call someone like Peter, who's very susceptible to failing to his own flesh, to to serve him in the way that he called Peter to do? He he literally, Jesus had literally told Peter a couple, a, a little while before that, that he was the rock on which he was going to build his church. So why would God choose to make someone who is that vulnerable to failing be the rock upon which the church was built. Well, see, here's the thing. God operates on kind of a different level, a different knowledge, a different plane from us. And we said that we knew that Peter was bold when Jesus was with him and cowardly, cowardly when he was without him. 
Which sounds like a horrible recipe, knowing that Jesus was about to leave the disciples to ascend to heaven and leave them to continue his ministry. But God had a plan. And we're going to look into, we're going to pick up and we're going to look at the key verse, the last verse of of chapter 7 in Romans, because Paul has just said, Wretched man that I am, who will set me free from this body of death? He's, he's literally at the lowest point. He's at the war with himself. He says, who will set me free? And in this, this pivotal 25th verse of chapter 7, he says, Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, on the one hand, I myself with my mind am serving the law of God, but on the other hand with my, fl- my flesh, the law of sin. And so he literally points there, who is going to save me from my own transgressions, my own dying to my flesh, my own servant hood to my own flesh and he says it's going to be Jesus and then immediately we see chapter 8 begin and we see the good news right we said there was bad news and good news so the bad news is that we cannot achieve the standard that God has set before us but here's the good news because of the sacrifice of Jesus his death on the cross and his resurrection the disciples as well as all of us who call upon the name of the Lord to be saved, get, got to experience something really cool that happened at a moment called Pentecost in Acts. They were filled with the Holy Spirit. You see, literally Jesus, as part of the Trinity, right? We have the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. They are all God. So literally Jesus, as the Holy Spirit, came into the disciples to... In, to dwell with them. So now Peter, someone who was bold when Jesus was around him and cowardly when Jesus wasn't around him, becomes someone who literally carries Jesus around inside of him at all times. Do you see how that works? So, so the bad news is that we on our own and our flesh cannot live up to this godly standard, but the good news is we have the Holy Spirit. We have Jesus living inside of us, indwelling with us, that empowers us to live our life with boldness. And so let's read what Paul writes in chapter 8 of Romans. He says, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and of death. For what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did. Sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and as an offering for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh so that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. For those who are according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who are according to the spirit, the things of the spirit. For the mindset on the flesh is death, but the mindset of the spirit is life and peace. Because the mindset of the flesh is hostile towards God, for it does not subject itself to the law of God, for it is not even able to do so. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. However, you are not in the flesh, but you are in the Spirit. If indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you, but if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. If Christ is in you, through the body is, though the body is dead because of sin, yet the spirit is alive because of righteousness. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit 
who dwells in you. And that just repeats over and over. You could read it over and over. And it just says, the Spirit dwells in you. The Spirit dwells in you. The Spirit dwells in you who have called upon the name of the Lord. And it makes it very clear that the good news is that salvation is so much more than just a ticket to heaven. Like, I think that's what we boil it down to is like, hey, if you died tonight, where would you go, heaven or hell? Oh, you're going to go to hell? Here, accept salvation so you get the ticket to heaven. Like, we, we like to boil it down to that, but it's so much more than that. It's security that Jesus is always with us and that we may always act in boldness for the kingdom of God. Let's, let's look back at Peter for a second right here. We, we literally just said that he acts in boldness when Jesus is with him and cowardness when he's not. But we see at Pentecost that the Holy Spirit indwells Peter and it lives within him. And we see him become the leader of the early church and live his entire life from there on out with boldness. Now, does that mean that he never had cowardness again? No, that, that was probably still part of his battle that he had with the flesh. But we see him boldly live his life establishing the church proclaiming the gospel and making sure that it gets preached throughout the nations to the point that he ultimately gave his life for the name of Jesus Christ and the good news for us is we have the very same spirit living inside of us as believers in Jesus Christ That's why the Bible tells us that we are reborn is because our old flesh is gone and there is a new life filling us. And that is the life that Jesus gives. That doesn't mean that we that we have. It doesn't mean that the war with our flesh is over. Because that war is going to continue. We're going to continue to struggle to know what to do and not be able to do it. That war is going to continue for all of our life. But what it does mean for us is that we know who eventually wins that war. And it's the spirit that lives in us. So as we walk through these tough lessons, these these convicting things that, that... that I've been teaching the last few weeks, you may feel like that you just can't do what I'm asking you to do, or you just can't do what God calls you to do. But you have to remember that you're not alone when you're doing it. In the same way that God called and used Peter, a man who without Jesus was nothing, God calls you and me People who without Jesus are nothing to do his work. And he does this to show his glory and his power to take something that is unusable and and use it. Like literally the definition of something that's not usable is it cannot be used. And God takes it and he uses it. Because let me tell you right now. I have... Very little workable skills, right? Like, I'm not good with a lot of mechanical things or like, I just don't have, like, my skills are more like ping pong and talking to people, okay? Like, I don't have a lot of usable skills and God takes something that without him would just be another body on this planet that 
doesn't have a lot of skills and he uses my skills and my abilities to invest in the lives of other people for his gospel. God takes the unusable and uses it. So as we walk through these series, these tough things, and where you hear things that you're like, man, how can God ask me to do that? There's no way that I can turn from this sin. It, is, it has such a stronghold on my life. Don't spend time getting hung up on your failures of the flesh. But rather, focus on the work that you can do with Jesus dwelling inside of you. Because if you have committed your life to the kingdom of God, you have the spirit inside of you. It's up to you to continue to use it to serve his kingdom. And you can't do that if you continue to dwell on your failures. Let me pray for you guys and we'll get out of here. God, I thank you so much for the spirit that lives in us. I thank you so much for sending your son to die for us. And I just pray that you would just help us all to not lose sight of our service to you because of the failures that we experience, the failures that come from our flesh. And God, I just pray that you would just help us to be people that focus on serving you. Help us to be people who focus on how we can be better followers of you, even though we may never reach this golden standard, this high bar that you've set for us. Help us to each day work to be as close to that bar as possible. To not focus on where we fall short, but to focus on how we're growing in you. How we're continuing to become more like you. God, we love you. And I pray a blessing on all the students, all the workers, all the adults, all the people who are here tonight. That they would just be blessed by you and that they would go into this world and spread your gospel, God. We love you and we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.